Thank you very much, Claire. Good morning. My name is John. I live just down the road. But that's not where I come from. I come from a town called Whitley Bay, okay, which is up in the northeast. Whitley Bay are in the news today. You're all aware of it. And they're in the news. Why? Getting to Wembley. Yes, Whitley Bay, my hometown team, is at Wembley for the third year in a row. Okay, going to... If we win against Colville Town of Leicester, we will have won the FA Vars three years in a row, and that will be a record. I was there last year to see them win, beat Wroxham Town, mighty Wroxham Town, you might be thinking, 6-1. Unfortunately, um, I can't be there today, but I'll tell you, obviously, what comes of that. Whitley Bay, uh, home of champions. Uh, yeah, but not everyone from Whitley Bay is a champion, I'm afraid, as you're about to find out. Um, now then, uh, many parents here are relatively young children. Yes, I'm looking around. Um, now, in the last few years, I'm delighted to say that since I became a parent, there's been lots of great movies around that are great for children and also great for adults. All these, the Pixar ones, Disney ones, the, the, the DreamWorks ones, the Shreks, those sorts of things. Can I just please ask you to tell me, in an orderly fashion, which of those sorts of films, those of you with children of the sort of age that enjoys that, you have enjoyed most? Of all those sort of Disney Yours? The Incredibles? Toy Story, Nemo. Nemo. No, I never liked Nemo. <laughs> Up, lovely, wasn't it? I was blubbing. Were you blubbing the first five minutes? Yeah, you blubber the drop of a hat, just like me. <laughs> really? Oh, interesting. Left field there, Claire. Yes, any? Ice Age. You still haven't got mine. You can't have two. Cars. <laughs> Nanny McPhee. Not quite the same, but very enjoyable. The person you need, Caitlin. <laughs> My favourite is Monsters, Inc. Come on. It's Monsters, Inc. And we're about to see a tiny clip of that. Okay, but it is a short clip. I should, just sorry, Alex, before you do that, I should explain those of you who don't know about it. Monsters, Inc. is all about this company that scares kids to create Scream because Scream is their electricity, effectively. Okay, so that's what they do, and they have monsters who scare people to do that. There's a big blue monster you're about to see who is their top scarer, and he's coming to work on the day when he's about to break their all-time scare record. Very short clip, but... That's it. Thanks, Alex. Um, I, actually, that's one of my favourite bits of the whole film. I've seen to you. I just love the characterisation and those two idiots desperately not trying to put uh, Sully or the Solster, as I always call him, off his focus. And it's focus that I want to talk about today. That's the cheap shot for getting a little bit of my favourite comedy in there. Um, we're reading from Two Timothy, and uh, Mark, uh, our senior pastor, or vicar. Um, said last week in his introduction, if you were here, that in many respects, uh, this particular letter of Paul's can be seen as um, 
Paul's sort of last will and testament. Uh, it was written very close to the end of his life, probably the last one that we have. And although he wouldn't necessarily have known that this was a letter that was going to get read by millions over the next two centuries, you can imagine him feeling near to the end of his life and making sure that whatever he was doing, he was getting the really important stuff down, just in case this is his last shot. And it's the two issues, I suppose, of focus and the important stuff that I just want to address today. I've been asked to be brief by somebody who's plainly never heard me preach before. Um, But that's what I'm going to try and do. Focus on um, uh, the issue of focus and of important stuff. And the first half of the second chapter of this letter, which Claire just read to us, and indeed, actually, the whole of um, 2 Timothy is a call from Paul to Timothy to make sure that he, Timothy, has got his priorities right and keeps them that way. It's a call to stay focused. And I will just touch on the second half, although we'll be speaking more about that, the second half of of, of chapter 2 next week. But if Paul is calling Timothy to stay focused, who or what is he asking to stay focused on? Well, we're in church, so is it a bird? No. Is it a plane? No, it must be Jesus. Of course it's Jesus. But familiarity doesn't make it any the less vital. For Paul, as you well know, and is very plain here, the gospel of Jesus is all. And he urges Timothy, similarly, to keep his eyes on that unique prize. And to do so, in terms of what Claire has just read for us, he uses a couple of examples. First, he uses examples of others, of soldiers and athletes, And uh, soldiers, they have a single commander. Athletes have a single goal. And that's where they focus their energies. Other things could get in the way, but if they do, the soldier will be less effective and the athlete less successful. You can imagine any of those sort of action movies you might have seen where there's a briefing room and the the, the black ops team is in there and they're being told all their rules and it's tea time, it's whatever it is and all that kind of thing, not tea time, supper time. You know, they've all got their roles and go, go, go. And there's one at the back going... Sorry, sorry, I'm miles away, miles away. Where, where, am I, do I stay here? Am I going there? Am I I'm holding the guns, chucking the bombs? You know, focus. That teamwork within a, an army unit is essential. No use some guy with an important role suddenly thinking, now. What was it again? In the same way with an athlete, it's quite famous, isn't it? Athletes, you, it's so easy sometimes. You see them on the telly and you think, golly, they're really fast. Uh, or that one's really good. And somehow they're just really fast people or they can cycle really well, or they're particularly good at darts, or whatever it might be. You know, it's just the hours and hours of selfless dedication. Even the superheroes, the people like Usain Bolt, who just looks like he woke up and he's just brilliant at running. All the effort and the focus on his diet and on his timing of his training and where he goes and all that sort of stuff. Without that, you'd never have heard of him. So Paul uses the example of others as people who need to keep their focus, and he's encouraging Timothy to be like that. But he also brings it a little bit closer to home, and he focuses on himself, on his own example. It's not a terribly attractive example viewed in certain respects, but it's a very important one. And so secondly, Paul looks at his example of his own life, and you'll see that he's so focused on the gospel of Jesus and on its proclamation that he's willing to suffer. Here I am, even in chains in prison, he says. Not just to suffer, but to be in prison. And he probably expected it. He was certainly prepared for it. To die. That was his focus. He was so focused on the gospel of Jesus, on Jesus, that he was prepared to do all those sorts of things. And he's saying to Timothy, learn from me. Keep your focus. 
Keep your focus. Now, the problem we have is that we're not Paul and we're not Timothy. And we can, especially perhaps knowing or now being aware of the fact that this was kind of one of Paul's last letters, it would be very easy to, to read what he's saying and kind of mark it down as the, the, you know, the really earnest, the incredibly passionate, the, you might almost think fanatical, if you want to think of it that way, utterances of someone who knows he's not got much time left and wants to get it out there. And Paul was Paul, after all, and Timothy was his, the guy he was passing the baton on to. So Paul's a special kind of guy with a special kind of mission, and Timothy's obviously a special kind of guy with a special kind of mission. And we can therefore think that the kind of encouragement that Paul is giving to Timothy really isn't for us. Very easy to think that. No, it's for those sorts of people. Those are the kinds of people who need to have that kind of focus. We were singing earlier. I don't know if you're aware of this. Sometimes it's possible, isn't it, to sing a song and then because you're familiar with it and you sing it. And what did I sing? What did I just sing? We all just sang this if you were in the room at the time. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. I wonder how many of us, I did, because I'm thinking about it at the moment, thought, do I, yeah, what does that mean? And, and do I? Can we live for God alone? We have so many things to do, haven't we, in our lives. Busyness, it's the, it's the, it's the terror of the age. No time for that. I've got this to do. Oh, and then there's that. So many things to do, so many hats to wear, so many roles to undertake. Just think of it yourselves. What do you do this week? If I suddenly said, please, could you spend more time with Jesus today, tomorrow, Tuesday, what would you say? Might you be thinking, well, that would have to go, or I'll have to push that one side, or this is just a mental week, no chance this week. But it's not like that. We can think that somehow this call to a real single-minded focus on Jesus is just for full-time Christians, people like vicars or senior pastors, people like missionaries or evangelists or whoever it might be, uh, or people whose job, whether we think it's a good one or not, is, is purely in that arena. Those guys can be fully focused on Jesus. The rest of us, frankly, have got stuff to do. Very easy to think that way. But to think that way is, I think, two things. One, extremely unwise and plain wrong. Plain wrong. It's unwise to assume that we can never be fully focused on Jesus. It's unwise because if we take that attitude, we'll just we'll separate ourselves a little bit. If we don't think we can be, we won't be focused on Jesus. And if we're not fully focused on Jesus, what we'll find is you'll, you'll know this in your own lives. If you've ever felt close to Jesus, particularly at certain times, and then a few months later you think, oh, where was that? What happened there? My prayer life was, and now it's, or I used to, and I... We just find it, it, it erodes the ability of Jesus to do good in our lives, and if in our lives, then through our lives in the lives of others. It happens so easily. If we don't think it's possible to be focused, it will, won't, we won't be. And as a consequence, Jesus won't be able to do all that he might in our lives that he would love to, that actually we would like him to if only we could focus, and that others would therefore benefit from. So it's unwise to think, that we can't be focused like Paul is talking about here. It's also wrong. It's also wrong. Because what Paul is asking isn't just some fanatical idea from some fantastically famous, the most famous preacher of the gospel. It's not just him. We could easily assign it to that. This is what Jesus says to 
This is what Jesus says. He says, for example, famously in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaking, seek first, we know this, don't we? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added unto you. Seek first your heavenly Father's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things, he's just spoken about what to eat, what to drink, what to wear, all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus says that you can have all the things we perhaps might want, but seek first the kingdom of God. Seek him first. And what I love about this excerpt from the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus demonstrates how well he understands us. I love it. I love it for that. It's not like, no, put all that to one side. It's rubbish. It's nonsense. This is what you've got to do. He knows we get preoccupied with putting food on the table. We should, in many respects. He knows we get preoccupied about keeping ourselves warm, about having a roof over our heads, about those things. But he doesn't diminish those concerns either. He doesn't say they're trash, they're rubbish, you don't need to eat, you don't need to wear clothes, you don't need to have a roof over your head. They're entirely legitimate. But what he knows and says is that we focus first on him. Sorry, if we focus first on those things... If that's what we focus on, the the, the daily things, the things that I've got stuff to do, if we focus on that first, well, we've had a chance of actually achieving those things. That's all right. But we'll lose him. And what he's saying is if only we would focus on him first, on the kingdom of God, on Jesus first, then we can, in a very real sense, strange as it might seem, have it all. If you focus on the stuff, you may get it all. And where's God in that? If you focus on Jesus first... He's saying that all this stuff could be had as well. So I don't think that this famous passage from the sermon is, as it may seem, a demand that we devote ourselves to God in a way that we think that only monks and nuns and hermits can do. It can easily seem that. Seek you first, the kingdom of God. Go out and spend days and on a retreat. Not that I'm saying retreats are wrong, but that's what you must do. Sit up a flagpole. You know, I just go into a cave, go to a monastery. It's not, what Jesus is saying, it's not, that's not the only place. That's not what I'm calling you to do. But I'm calling you to focus. Strange it may sound, I think what Jesus is saying on the Sermon on the Mount there is that we can, in God's kingdom, have our cake and eat it. You might be uncomfortable with that kind of phrase, but that seems to me what he's saying. A focus on Jesus isn't to ignore everything else and the stuff. It's somehow to glorify the rest. It's to to bring it into his kingdom, not to put it on the outside. Jesus seems to be saying that God's kingdom is truly the best of both worlds. And I I think that's true, and I think it's wonderful. Now, it may seem a little bit far-fetched to you. Perhaps you think the construction I'm putting on Jesus' words is wrong. That somehow I'm sort of, hey, hey, guys, this could be wonderful. You can somehow be super-duper focused Christians and really successful and everything and have all you need. Well, perhaps if you're worried that about what I'm saying, I'll just clarify a little bit about what I'm not saying. Certainly what I'm not saying that Jesus is saying. Principally, I don't think Jesus is preaching anything like a prosperity gospel here. Nothing like it at all when he says, seek first and these things you will have. He's not preaching a prosperity gospel. Jesus wasn't, and I'm not, talking about us obtaining all the food, all the drink, all the clothing, all the stuff that we want. doesn't say that at all, I don't think. What he's saying is that we focus first on him, God's kingdom, on God. 
then we won't find the need to worry about this stuff. We'll be okay. We'll be okay. Now, you might think of your own circumstances. Now, in the past, the circumstances of other Christians over the world, you think, does that really play, John? Does that really work? There's a real challenge to believe it, but I think that's what Jesus is saying. Focus first, and you will find... Isn't it amazing? I don't know if you've read any of these books of books that come from people who you think, I could not have lived a life of commitment to Jesus like you seem to in other countries, in persecuted countries. These are people who would say that they focused on God. And for our perspective, what an awful life in prison, whatever they're like, Paul. And yet they would say, and many have said, that these things were added unto them, that that was a good enough life for them because of their focus on Jesus. And besides, I think it's a really good thing that Jesus isn't saying here, you'll have all loads of stuff, more stuff than you need. Uh, you know, elsewhere, Jesus, in connection, for example, with the rich young ruler, makes it very plain that having our material needs not just met, but greatly exceeded, can be an incredible challenge, a real threat to our relationship with him. It may be what we want or we're made to feel we want, but actually to have too much will take our focus away. And of course, it's not merely material things that can spoil our focus. Relationships, relationships can do likewise. Because, I don't know if you've been thinking, as I've been talking, it's all very well talking about focus on Jesus, but you might, with some justification, think, well, do you know, actually, my first focus needs to be on my family. You know, my wife, my kids, my partners, some dependents. My first focus, I feel, needs to be on finding somebody I can build a family with one of these days. That's, that's my focus. That's a legitimate thing, isn't it? Or you may be thinking, well, actually, one of my focuses really needs to be perhaps colleagues who are dependent in some way on me on their livelihoods. These are all things I should be focusing on. How do I get them into place? But again, I think Jesus' teaching about our focus vindicates Paul's. What Jesus says, and Paul is trying to pass on, is that you can be more effectively committed to these relationships, not less if you're first and foremost committed to Jesus. It's not like if you focus on Jesus and somehow these people are going to lose out. They will gain. And here let me clarify again what I'm not saying. The matter of focus that I'm talking about isn't about forsaking people who need you for Jesus. I'm sorry, I know you need me, just going upstairs for a quiet time. You know, I'm sorry, I know this is a really busy time, but I promised myself a retreat and I need to get close to God. So you'll just have to work it out in yourselves. Now, while it may be that both we and our dependents would benefit greatly if we put a bit more time aside to spend alone with Jesus, that's not the heart of what I'm saying. It's not that sort of special time. Because I think in God's kingdom, it's the best of both worlds almost. We can be both with him and those we care for simultaneously. Indeed, I'd say that when our focus is on Jesus, time spent with others is time spent with him. Remember that famous passage, Matthew 25, I think it is, the, the last day, the sheep and the goats. When you did this for them, you did it for me. When you did this for them, you did it for me. It's not like we somehow have to spend special time with Jesus alone and all the other people lose out. When we're focusing on Jesus, the time we invest in others will be time spent with Jesus and more powerful for everyone concerned. To use yet another colloquial phrase, I'm sorry to keep using these, the best of both worlds, having our cake and eat it. Win-win situation. Now, you may be uncomfortable with those sorts of words, perhaps those sorts of global phrases to talk about what we're talking about. Can it really be? Is it that simple, John? 
I don't know about it being that simple, but it seems to me that it's what Jesus is talking about. And if you don't like the phrase, it seems a little bit too glib to say, it's a win-win for us guys. If you don't like the phrase, it's the best of both worlds. If you're not comfortable with the phrase, you can have it all. You can have your cake and eat it. Then let's just try something a little bit more spiritual, can we? And think about what Jesus said in John 10.10. To stay focused on Jesus is to have life in all its fullness. That's what we're talking about. Life in all its fullness. Not that or that. Not so much of that that there's less of this. But somehow, because God knows best, all its fullness. So those relationships will be better if your relationship with Jesus is good. Those material things, that stuff that might get in the way, you'll have that imbalance if your relationship with Jesus is strong. Now, assuming you're still with me, the question that still needs to be addressed is, that's all very well, but how do we stay focused? If that's a good thing to be focused on Jesus, if it's achievable, if it's necessary, how do we actually achieve it? And I just want to finish that by spending a little bit of time on thinking about how it gets a little bit more personal and a bit more practical. As soon as we start talking about the hows, we could be reading books and immediately, ironically, lose our focus. Well, this works for me and that works for them and I've read some self-help books and actually that, that was fine. And here's some top tips for focusing on Jesus. And there's about 15 of them. You try one this week and that didn't quite work. And, you go, and in the end, you can almost focus on the thing. So I want to keep it quite simple. Just a couple of things. And you'll be glad to know that both of them are entirely endorsed by what Paul says in his second chapter of his second letter to Timothy. Two things, then, to help us actually focus. Now, I'll start by asking you a question. If you see the initials WWJD followed by a question mark, what do those initials WWJD stand for? What would... What would John do? Thank you, Barry. Yeah, I was thinking of Joss, actually. But yeah, what would Jesus do? It's great. Probably riskless. It seems to have died down a little bit. We're kind of familiar with it now. There's a bit of a movement for that. And I always thought, that's quite good. But actually, if that's what WWJD stands for, what does DWJW stand for? Work it out. No, Sheena, I'm not thinking of that. Just move the words around. Do what Jesus would. And it's so important. Let's stop just asking the questions and do it. It's really quite simple. It's not wrong to ask the question, but knowing the answer isn't enough. We've got to do it. One of the best ways of maintaining your focus on Jesus, your maintaining any kind of relationship, for example, is to get involved, to do it. If it's just theoretical, yes, I love you, dear, Sorry, I'm watching the telly. It doesn't work out. We've got to do it. One of the best ways of maintaining our focus on Jesus throughout your life, not just when you go home this morning, is by doing what Jesus would have us do. Putting Jesus' plans for us into action makes it real. And if it doesn't get beyond an idea, however nice it may be, we're almost bound to drift away. If we stop doing what Jesus would have us do and keep just thinking about it or asking ourselves a question or reading another book. We should do it. In the first half of chapter 2, as Claire read to us, Paul writes about this matter of doing. Whether it's soldiers or athletes or himself, his emphasis on, is on action. He never gives Timothy the opportunity of thinking, oh, so long as I believe in the gospel, that's enough. It's all about putting feet or wings to that gospel. 
So do what Jesus would. Action point number one, do it. My second point is this. What does this stand for? D-D-W-J-W-Unt. D-D? What? Don't do what Jesus wouldn't. Now, this might seem quite a negative message, but fantastically important, I think. Just doing anything isn't necessarily a good idea. Paul writes in the second half of the letter, which we'll actually look at next week, and which Claire didn't read for us, he's very clear about things that we really need to steer clear of. Here's just five of them that I picked from the second half of the second chapter. He says to Timothy, Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It's of no value and only ruins those who listen. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Flee the evil desires of youth. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. The Lord's servant must not be resentful. Very important not to do certain things. Okay, just don't do it as the symbol might go with the swoosh. We need actively to avoid distractions. If we do what we shouldn't, it will both erode our ability to do what we should and our ability to present Jesus to others. Just think about it for a moment. People you know, people in history, what is it that most often puts people off Jesus? Okay. What is it? curse them. <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? What normally puts the church, you know, whether it's an inquisition or a crusade, or whether it's hypocrisy, whether it's lying, whether it's the asking for money, whether it's the doing one thing and saying another, people will easily latch on, and they should, they should, they've every right to. By this will all men know that you are my disciples, said Jesus. You have loved one from another. Not that you keep falling out. Not that you keep asking for money. Not that you keep persecuting people who don't quite believe what you believe. Let's not do certain things. Very important. That will spoil our focus. Do what Jesus would. Don't do what Jesus wouldn't. Most of the time, understanding what those things are and aren't is quite simple. Let's get on and do them. But, and this is where I finish, knowing that we should keep a focus, that it can be done, that it's worth doing is one thing. Knowing how we can go about that by doing what Jesus would have us do and not doing what he wouldn't is another. But we've probably been here ourselves before. I try, John, try. I try not to do that. So let's finish by really trying to focus and ask for God's help, for Jesus' help by his spirit that we will do and not do those things he's calling us to do and calling us to stop. Will you stand with me?